This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. I hate to do it for you folks, but yes, we're going to have to talk some Astros here. Our friend Jeff Blum's going to be by. Also, Steve Sparks. They both work for the Astros. Dave O'Brien calling the game for ESPN. He's also the voice of the Boston Red Sox. And Mike Petriello from MLB.com. But we're going to start with the Cal Bear, the World Series hero. And one of the great guys in our game, here is Blummer, Jeff Blum. And is a guy that uh, won a World Series and knows what it's like to climb the mountain. Blummer, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Good. We've we just been talking about the A's, the playoffs, and the division series. And, uh, you know, in 2012 and 2013 against the Tigers, the A's went to game five. And then, oh, yeah, both times had to hit, face Verlander, and both times Verlander was on his A game. And you know as well as anybody, when he's on his A game, you're not beating that guy. Uh, yeah, and that's one of those things that kind of down the stretch of the season where you were wishing he was able to make that comeback from uh, his his forearm strain, but eventually it turned into Tommy John surgery. So you kind of take that out of the equation, and it makes that uh, this ALDS that much more interesting. So are, are you going to be part of the radio broadcast? I mean, are you going to be doing anything for the Astros? I am doing absolutely nothing. I got to tell you, year after year, I mean, I, I respect all the national people, but as you know, when it's your team and you're listening to the national people on television, do your team, especially a team like the A's who are out West. And if these people uh, live on the East Coast, I, I, I doubt they're staying up late to really watch our team. It, it really makes you miss your it makes you miss your local guys because you know they don't really know your team all that well. No, I am one hundred percent with you, and it's actually you know we know it's happening in other media markets, might like Oakland, maybe down in L.A., but some of these bigger markets are going to get more attention. And I agree with you in the sense that it's really tough to watch some of these games sometimes, knowing that. You can only do so much homework and, you know, repeat some of the facts or some of the data that you've heard about. But when you actually get stories from guys who are or your reporters, whoever they may be, who have been covering the team, if you get them in real time to have them react with a true story or an actual emotional story and have some of that local knowledge, I think it only makes the broadcast better. And uh, some of these national broadcasts, especially on the West Coast, especially during these day games where they don't send the A team, you get some of these uh, okay broadcasts as opposed to getting some of the true information some of these fans who watch deserve. You know, this is a bit of bone of contention here in the Bay Area is about, 
you know, the wild card series, they were all 12 o'clock games and now we're experiencing the same thing. And, you know, as a team like the A's that won the division, you know, these guys are having to show up to the ballpark like at 630, to get tested for COVID-19. I mean, it's kind of been like, this is not how a team that wins their division should be treated. I understand the Yankees. I understand prime time, but this is not how a division winner should be treated. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's really frustrating. And I feel like over the years, it's really been the West Coast teams that take a beating as far as uh, what times they have to be at the ballpark and what time their games are being played. And you know what? There's five games in each series, potentially. Why can't you rotate the starting times? Why do you have to wait till later on where you potentially might have a uh, primetime game because other teams have been knocked out or other teams are moving on. I, I don't get much of it. And again, it's all dollar driven or in the minds of the people who are actually making these decisions, they think it's uh, dollar driven, but I would, I'd be willing to bet that there are going to be a great deal of people nationwide who are going to be watching the Oakland A's Houston Astros battle it out in Dodger stadium, because there is a lot of intrigue and some backstory in this uh, division series. And it's like, well, it's not like we haven't seen Rays Yankees before. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uncle. <laughs> the only thing worse would be Rays Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you know what? You know, in talking about these times and you, you talk about the experience, you know, I've been fortunate to have in the postseason. When I was with the Chicago White Sox, we got some decent start times. And especially when we were playing the Red Sox, we got some great start times. And then when I won, uh, when I was with the San Diego Padres and we won the National League West, guess what we were doing? We were playing noon games at Petco Park against uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, it's definitely a discrepancy in there. So where are the Astros right now? I know some of the numbers aren't great, but boy, they got two wins over the Twins. We've talked about how the Twins didn't score when they had the bases loaded in two straight games in the first inning. I guess that helped momentum. Where are we with the Astros and their confidence going into the series? I would imagine that their confidence is pretty high, especially if you speak to one particular shortstop. He seems to be uh, pretty confident in their ability to go out there and win some ball games. But let's be honest, the Astros need every ounce of momentum that they can create. And fortunately, the Minnesota Twins gave them a couple of games to go out there and win. And they did, and now they do have that confidence going into a series against the Oakland A's where not many expected them to get past the Twins. So I think they're kind of enjoying being that underdog, but I also think they're enjoying the fact that they did get through that wild card round by uh, sweeping the Minnesota Twins, taking two out of three. And that's only going to help them uh, get a little bit healthier, maybe get that rotation in line, but uh, also help these guys just kind of remember the fact that they're pretty good as they're working out in L.A. Yeah, I know Granky didn't last very long in game one. Are you shocked or not shocked that Granky isn't going game one in this series? Um, part of me is a little bit shocked, but at the same time, we kind of saw him stumble towards uh, the finish line at the end of the season. I don't know if it was, again, we don't have the access to the players that we really want to get some of the answers we want, but just on the outside looking in, maybe a little bit of fatigue setting in. We know that, you know, the middle part of a season – after 12, 13 starts, you can get a little bit of dead arm. Maybe that's what he's dealing with. But the extra day rest hopefully uh, will only help a guy like Zach Granke. Or maybe they have other intentions of using him out of the bullpen. We'll have to wait and see. But for the time being, it's going to be Lance McCullers game in game one. I think the first game is going to be a great matchup. What worries you about the Oakland A's? 
their bullpen, uh, the fact that their starting pitching can get hot, and their bullpen again. I think their bullpen, I think it's a paramount that the Astros get to the starter and actually create a lead that they can work with because if they find themselves behind, and you guys have seen it plenty out there in the Bay Area watching Bob Melvin use that bullpen out there, if he's got a lead after the sixth, fifth, sixth inning, you know he's going to go to those arms in that bullpen. They're a complete shutdown, and they did a great job this season. So why wouldn't you continue with that program? Yeah, think about this. 208 and a third innings pitched by the bullpen, and A's relievers gave up just 159 hits while striking out 229. Those, those are amazing numbers, and those are the numbers that scare a lot of people uh, as you play the Oakland A's and you get deeper in the season, you get deeper in the playoffs because those guys have the ability to go out there and swing and miss. And I actually think, you know, that's something that we learned with the Los Angeles Dodgers and their bullpen and the ability to go out and get swings and misses. The Boston Red Sox, when they had their, win, their, their uh, run in 2018, did the same thing. And the Astros organization has prided themselves on being able to create the swing and miss because – if you find yourself with the bases loaded, runner on second and third, runner on third, two outs, you know, if the ball's not put in play and the guy strikes out, that really helps the cause and makes it a little bit easier to get through some of those tough situations. Well, the whole strikeout thing is really starting to show up because uh, a great article by Jason <laughs> Stark in The Athletic where he talks about, you know, if you look at home runs and you look at walks, they've been pretty consistent the past couple of years. The one thing that continues to go up, K's per nine, I mean, year after year after year, and obviously if you're going to strike out, that's that's at least three pitches, but uh, usually you're not punching out in three. I think that we're finally going to have to realize the three true outcomes, it's really the one outcome that really is slowing everything down, and that's just basically the strikeout. No, I completely agree. But, you know, it could be a number of things, you know, on the offensive side, this idea or this philosophy of creating launch angles and swinging for the three run home run on every single pitch, no two strike approaches, no small ball, nobody's bunting, everybody's swinging for the fences, trying to hit it over the shift, instead of trying to create a swing that can beat the shift. And like you said, all of a sudden, you're two or three pitches into the at bat. Uh, you start to throw your nasty stuff and you miss and all of a sudden it's three, two, and then you get the strikeout. So there's a lot going on in that sense, but also on the other side, I don't want to take anything away from what pitchers are doing these days. We know that uh, we, we, we are literally living in an era where it is throw until you blow and that uh, blow being meaning, you know, getting Tommy John. So these guys are throwing their fastballs as hard as they possibly can. They're throwing their changeup change up as hard as they possibly can. And they're also throwing their, uh, you know, those pitches that spin, like the slider and curveball, as hard as they possibly can. They're creating some kind of nastiness that's tough to hit. Throw to you blow. Just how just – I get it, <laughs> but, I mean, that, that also is very scary because yeah. there's no guarantee that you'll come back from Tommy John. No, that, that, that is the God's honest truth. I mean, it's, I know that technology, science is getting better these days, but at the same time, everything is a risk, especially when you're going out there trying to throw 100 miles an hour every time. If you had to give advice to either Astro hitters or A's hitters, because obviously there's guys coming into this series that have bad numbers. They didn't have great numbers in the regular season. They didn't have great a series uh, in the wild card series. And you keep trying to talk about, well, it's the reset button. They've had some days off. What advice would you give to the A's or Astros hitters who have struggled throughout the year? 
Chris, did you really ask me to give A's hitters any kind of uh, advice seriously? Yeah, because I'm playing it for them. <laughs> I'm sure that every one of them down in the clubhouse right now is listening to this. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, I, I, you know, for the Oakland A's hitters, I, I think that watching them throughout the course of the season, they have a very good idea of what they want to do at the plate. Now, granted, it hasn't been as consistent as they wanted it to be, or maybe they didn't have enough games to really solidify the plan and uh, get healthy enough to execute it. But I think that they have a very good idea of what they're doing at the plate. And I give them credit for sticking to the game plan because I think they're trying to hit the ball as hard as they possibly can. And unfortunately, when you're in that situation, sometimes you chase a little bit or you uh, maybe don't make the contact you want. It ends up being an out. But we know for a fact that when they have been getting the hits, it has come in crucial moments. It's come with runners on base, and it's actually led to them getting enough of a lead to give it to their bullpen. So I would say don't change a thing if you're the Oakland A's because once you get out of that mode and you try to be something different than you are, sometimes it gets a little bit worse, and that wouldn't, that wouldn't be good for their ball club. The Astros, on the other hand, need to do a better job of staying in the strike zone and forcing some of these starting pitchers for the Oakland A's to throw strikes because maybe not Bassett, but we know Lazardo and uh, Manaya and Frankie Montas, if you give them the opportunity to try and get back in the strike zone, there is a tendency that they do miss their spot and you get a pitch to hit. So I would preach patience. Yet it would be a very aggressive patience if you're an Astros waiting for a pitch, and if you get it, make sure you don't miss it. How did you? How did you like hitting a Dodger Stadium? Dude, I loved it. Are you kidding me? I grew up as a kid watching ball games there, and it had a phenomenal backdrop. I didn't feel like the you know I felt like it played fair in the gaps, and the fat the infield is fast as hell. Well, and the good thing is they're going to have the organ going this series, which the Dodger nice. Stadium organ's awesome. It is awesome. And you know what? Those older stadiums, I remember Shea Stadium and Dodger Stadium have, having two of the best sound systems I've ever heard in my life. So it, it's a fun place to play just because of that old school organ and then just the sound system they've got there is phenomenal. Well, it's great to talk to you. Good luck to you guys. Not really, but uh, the A's want to move <laughs> on finally. And uh, it, it's always great talking to you. And be well, be safe with the family, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, you guys be safe, too. And the more I talk to you, it means that they're playing more uh, more good baseball. So let's hope that keeps happening. Take care. Take care, Chris. From TV to radio, Steve Sparks, the knuckleballer, the former A. Long time now, one of the radio voices for the Houston Astros. Always love having him on the program. And when I think about Steve Sparks throwing 100 miles an hour back in the day, that was mm. always fun to watch. I mean, when you were throwing 101, what was that like? It was kind of like uh, when I would uh, go skeet shooting, you know, something would just kind of fly across. And, uh, you know, I closed one eye a lot of times and crow hop when I pitched. I was kind of revolutionary. But, uh, yeah, 101 was was pretty frequent. And, and back in those days, it was just me and Sid Pitch. <laughs> we were talking to uh, Jeff Blum about this, and, and Jeff, Jeff was like, you know, it's kind of sad. It's it's throw till you blow, but that's kind of like what we're seeing is everybody just throw as hard as you can till you need Tommy John. And John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer, has said it right, and I want to get your opinion on this. Are we going to get to a point where we're going to run out of pitchers? No. I, I think uh, every time I go uh, down to the minor league fields in spring training, I see about 75 more of them. So they're just going to keep filtering them through there. And uh, just keep blowing gas. I mean, the Astros have a boatload 
of those types of pitchers down in the minor leagues. They really do. They've got guys that are throwing 95 uh, as soon as they wake up. So I don't know what it is. You know, I, I asked a buddy of mine who's a, who's a, a pitching coach at, at junior college, and he's a longtime big leaguer, Woody Williams. You probably remember him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, and I asked him, I said, why are guys throwing so much harder now? He thinks he, he straight-faced me, and I don't think he was messing around. He just said, I think it's the, the additives in the food we eat. I, I just think guys are bigger and stronger. And whatever's in that, that food, a lot of that processed food might have uh, a little touch of steroids in there, and guys are just blowing. And probably even crazier that, than the velocity being on the uptick is the fact that the hitters – it doesn't phase them anymore. We're seeing guys, I mean, you're seeing guys turn around 98 miles an hour like it's nothing. So as the yeah, as, as the guys throw harder, you grow up seeing it, and now you get to the big leagues. I mean, you've been watching it. We've been watching it. It's like it, it's it's the velocity doesn't phase these hitters anymore. It doesn't, especially if there's no deception, deception in a delivery. And I tell you what, you, you take a guy who's a, a cookie cutter delivery and opens up just a little bit. It looks like it's coming from center field, I think, to the hitters. So I like a little deception. Uh, it, somebody that throws across their body or has a little bit of a, a hitch in their delivery, and you ha- add deception to maybe a, a 93 or 94 mile per hour fastball. I think that plays better. A great example is the guy we had going yesterday, Jesus Lazardo. He's got a terrific arm. Uh, everybody's like, oh, he's got such stuff. It's like, yeah, he's got stuff, but everything's hard. Pretty much everything's on the same plane. He doesn't, he doesn't change the sight lines for hitters. And for a guy who has such good stuff, he gets barreled up a lot. What did you see with our guy, Jesus Lazardo? I, I think that's a, a big part of it. And what I see with him, what I've seen a couple of times and I've watched him on television is somebody who overthrows in inopportune times. I mean, he's got a big arm, and he's probably been able to throw it by guys his entire life. So when the moment gets a little bit bigger, rather than kind of slowing things down and your heart rate slowing down and uh, concentrating more on location than velocity, that, that ad- extra added velocity you're trying to get usually doesn't give you anything other than mislocation, and that's when you get hurt the most. So... I still think he's got a little bit to learn uh, about changing speeds, maybe and, and dialing it back a little bit with his fastball and his breaking stuff in big moments. So are we going to see Christian Javier today for the Astros? At some point, I think they will. I don't think to begin with. Are they going to go opener? No, I think they'll go Grinky. Really? What? what, what yeah. So, so what, like – there, there's we haven't really got the full report. Maybe you guys got it back in Houston, but he no, had nobody got it. Nobody got it. Yeah, he had an MRI or he had an X-ray, something. He went and see a doctor. What what's going on with him? Well, we didn't hear that he got an MRI. Always, all we heard was that he had some arm soreness. He wasn't himself his last two starts, so they wanted to get it checked out. And you know what? He doesn't talk very much. You guys have, have read the stories and heard the stories. He just. Uh, keeps to himself quite a bit. So when somebody like that has something going on, uh, then the communication gets lost every once in a while. So uh, I don't think anybody wants to divulge at this time uh, of the season uh, what exactly is going on. But I'm just guessing, and I and I don't know firsthand, or, or I don't know for sure. But I'm guessing Grinky pitches. They go as long as he's pitching well. 
and if they are tied or if they have the lead uh, somewhere in the middle of the game, then I think uh, Javier would come into the game, try to bridge it to Paredes and Presley. Otherwise, uh, if he gets knocked out early, I think that Luis Garcia gets into the game. They ride him as long as possible and then start Javier tomorrow. Well, obviously, it's a, a do or die. If the A's are able to pull this out today, mm-hmm. how yep. does that flip the script for game five? Well, it, it would be reminiscent of what the Astros went through last year. They got they got up 2 nothing on uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, then Tampa won the next two games. The difference is game five that the Astros, just from the scenarios that we were talking about just now, they don't have Garrett Cole waiting in the wings for game five like they did last year when he went eight innings and struck out 10 guys and, and they cruised to a six to one win. They got exposed. I mean, it, we were just holding our breath the first four games of the playoffs. Uh, you know, there's certain portions of the bullpen that's been very inexperienced and, and very wobbly uh, as far as their command is, issues go. And Oakland can take advantage of that very easily uh, with their patience. So, uh, it got exposed yesterday to the tune of five runs and four and two-thirds innings. Uh, we'll see what happens today. But uh, definitely, you see a little bit of a, a momentum shift. The thing that you, you take a little solace if you're an Astros fan is that uh, for the first time all year long, the team's swinging the bats well. You know, they're hitting 302 in this series, averaging better than seven runs a game. And we didn't see anything close to that during the regular season. Uh, but we're starting to see some signs of life uh, for with about four or five different uh, hitters in their lineup now. So the rumors out there right now is that if you uh, take the cover off the baseball, actually inside it says Titleist Pro V1. Uh, yeah. It is I, watching all of these games. I'm trying to watch every game, and I'm just I'm like the juice ball is back. I and 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 people love it. Good for baseball, trying to get the ratings and the interest, but. The amount of home runs and how far these balls are going, it's crazy. I mean, how about Chad Pender's ball down the right field line? It's like, yeah. I can't, I mean, every ball that goes in the air, at least in this series, it's going out of the ballpark. Yeah, and it's really difficult as a broadcaster when you're watching it on a, on a monitor to begin with, uh, thinking about a maybe a, an infielder going opposite field home run. You just don't, you can't anticipate that. But now, you know, I, I mean, it's almost commonplace now for a ball in the air. You just, you've got a lag as a broadcaster. Do, you know, I do three innings of play-by-play, and you've got a lag about two or three seconds, so you can finally get the camera shot to the outfielders and watch them start to drift back toward the morning track because you don't know what's going to happen when the ball's in the air. You know, good for Oakland, man. They are launching right now. They're getting everything in the air like you should be. Why wouldn't they? Five homers yesterday. Balls jumping like it has been. Uh, that I think that's the the perfectly right approach uh, to, to go and, and try to swipe this series back away from the Astros. So you guys had to move right because of the uh, NLDS between the Marlins and the Braves is now Minute Maid. You had to go to a new studio, correct? Yeah, that's what we did. You know, and it's the same setup basically. We've been in our in our broadcast booth at Minute Maid Park all year long. But it's basically a 55-inch screen TV and then a couple of monitors with uh, uh, nine screen split screens for, for the other stuff. So, you know, you're, you're uh, darting your eyes back and forth, uh, looking for infield shifts, going to the all nine, you know, shots from the cameras and, and doing some different things and looking at positioning and, 
the way the outfielders are, but uh, it's the same thing. We're back in the studio. It, it's a little bit more, you know, plush, I guess, in a, in a studio, but you know, you've been in plenty of studios. It's cold. I mean, you almost have to wear a, an overcoat into a studio because of all the lights that they have in those places. You know, speaking of the shift, I can tell you in two series, I've seen the A's get burned multiple times where yeah. you're looking at routine ground balls to second base ha- have just really affected. As a pitcher, would you have liked the shift or would you like more of a standard defense behind you? Well, at the very beginning of a lot of these shifts, uh, a lot of the brain trusts with the Astros front office called some of us into the office to talk about some of the stuff they were going to be doing. And, you know, I think uh, to their credit, they just wanted to kind of stay ahead and be good communicators and, and get their message out there because they were going to experiment a little bit too. And back in 2013, they didn't have a good team. Why not try to formulate a little bit of this data and see if it works? And at the beginning, I was saying, you know what? You're really handcuffing a pitcher if, if you're going to put three infielders on one side and you're going to make a pitcher pitch to one side of the plate. You're really handcuffing him to try to pitch into that shift. And what they told me, and I didn't believe them at the time, but they told me, they said, it doesn't matter. That what we're seeing is because of the data, it doesn't matter if you throw it outside. We're still seeing tendencies. You know, it's not going to happen every time, but the tendency, and if you're playing the numbers, is that a guy still going to roll over on those pitches? I didn't believe it at the time, but through time, I, I came to to agree with them. I, I totally understood where they were. So, you know, they they've got uh, situations like uh, you know later in the game when it could really burn them. Uh, they they will not be as aggressive as they normally are with some of those shifts, and, and I like that. And they're also taking a look at the other side. If you're going to put three guys on the right side of second base with Michael Brantley. Uh, up at the plate in a situation where he can just inside out a ball, that is not smart. I mean, you got to know the hitter. And if he can, if he can manipulate the bat angle and, and shoot a hole like a Michael Brantley, you shouldn't do it, uh, especially when it, when it matters most. So it's going to be glaring in the playoffs, uh, Chris. It, it's going to stick out more than usual uh, when you get burnt, especially in a lot of these type games. Yeah, there was a great article this offseason. I can't remember who the front office guy was. I think he's going to work for the Mets. But uh, they did the, they did some data where it showed that pitchers end up walking more people when the shift mm-hmm. is on. And as we know, you walk more people, you end up giving up more runs. Pitcher is uncomfortable. So it's like, okay, you're going to take away some hits, but you're also going to walk more guys. And that means yeah. we're going to start. So it kind of evens itself out. Well, that's on your pitchers, you know, and we're seeing more guys uh, walk guys anyway, because they're, they're nibbling a little bit too much. You know, if you're going to put those shifts on uh, the, the one thing that I don't like about the shift, you know, number one, it's killed power left-handed hitters like a Brian McCann or a Ryan Howard. I think if hitters like that, that when you hit it on the ground, no question you're out because basically your second baseman's playing 15 steps into the outfield grass and he can cover everything and you're slow to begin with. Uh, one thing I miss uh, because of the shifts is the hit and run. You never see that because the hit and run was designed to open up a hole uh, by having one of your middle infielders uh, to go cover the bag. You open up a hole and you get a guy 
who can move the bat around a little bit and shoot the hole the other way. I miss that play. I, I love the hit and run or even the run and hit, and uh, that's been taken away. I haven't seen that probably in the last three, four years, maybe three times at the most. I asked Bob Melvin, who managed Ichiro in, in Seattle, I asked him, I said, Bob, what, what would happen if you shifted hmm. against Ichiro? He said he'd hit 800. Yeah, I was about to say, man, that's, that, that'd be like taking candy from a baby, the way he could manipulate the ball. I don't understand. Uh, I, I thought by now more guys would bunt, you know, and, and I guess the play is, is, you know, everybody's still swinging for it. They don't want to go away from that A swing. You know, they talk about the A swing where they want to get off, you know, their best swing, even with two strikes that, because they can inflict damage and hit a two or three run homer. And I get it to an extent. It's just boring to me. Well, we always love having you on. We appreciate the time and be well, be safe, and uh, have a good call today. And uh, I, I know you guys would like to end it, but uh, we want to at least get another game in game five. I'm just hoping for good baseball, man. This has been fun so far, so let's keep it going. Take care, be well, and, and uh, always hit them straight when you're out there. All right, Chris. Take care, buddy. And continuing to talk about the series. Here is Dave O'Brien calling the games for ESPN, and he's also the voice of the Boston Red Sox. The play-by-play man calling the game today for ESPN Radio and also the voice of the Boston Red Sox and had a very accomplished career, has a lot of great things on his resume, is going to be joining us in moments. Are we calling him, Cody? Yeah, I'm going to call him here. Give out your stat, and then I'll give him a call. No, I I want Dave to be a part of this. Okay, well, I'll call him then. I want him to be a part of what I think, because I've already told you, when Mania starts a day game, the A's are 15-3 and three over the last three seasons. Hello? Dave, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hi, Chris. How, you, how are you doing? How are things? Uh, well, after game one, we're a little skittish right now. We're trying to recover and uh, get ready for game two. I just uh, got off a Zoom call with uh, Bob Melvin. So uh, he seemed pretty cool. He seemed like he was he was not panicked in the least. So that was good. All right. So I, 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 I gave out the stat earlier because I'm trying because, you know, our kind of postseason history recently, you know, A's fans get a little scared when all of a sudden you get behind the eight ball early. So I gave them this. Oh, yeah. Sean yeah. Mania and the A's are 15 and three day games the last three seasons. But I got this one for you. When the A's lose the game after, they are 93 and 57 the last three seasons. So they've been a resilient team after a yeah. loss. I'm trying to be glass half full here. That that must be why Melvin doesn't look like he's breaking a sweat. Uh, so, you know, he's used to winning game and used to coming from behind. So uh, hopefully that'll work. I had the A's winning the series, so I hope they do. You know, the whole thing yesterday, watching that game in the sixth inning where, you know, the two things that let the A's down are their strength, which is defense and bullpen. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I was. I mean, the error by Simeon was huge. That was a that was the gate opener at that time. And then, you know, the bullpen, which has been a backbone of this team, I think arguably the best bullpen uh, in in the playoffs remaining, and did not perform well. And conversely, the Astros, and they did have a hot hand with their bullpen. Dusty had a very hot hand going in, 
but they continued to throw the ball well. So, yeah, those two things were really, really shocking, especially the way Simeon's improved his defense from his earlier years. You don't expect him to boot that ball. But, you know, little things like that become huge plays in the postseason, as you know very well. You know, one of the keys that we had going into the game was you got to get to that, you know, get McCullers out and get to that Astro bullpen and, uh, wow, be be a little afraid of what you asked for because uh, I know I was shocked. I think you got to be a little shocked. Five innings of scoreless baseball by that bullpen. They didn't give up a hit and only one walk. Yeah, and, and that's a key, obviously, for the A's. They work off ball four. They need guys to come in or start and walk a few guys. And, look, that's what happened early in the game. And, you know, walk a few, you get a home run, all of a sudden you're up two or three to nothing. I know the A's win a lot of games that way, but you know, Paredes came in. He threw the ball exceptionally well for them. You know, Presley's very good at the back end. Javier's a, a guy who's done it. So I think that uh, probably we, we underestimated how effective their bullpen was going to be because I think in the light of how good the A's has been, it looked like the second best. In game one, it was the best bullpen. Well, if you watch the two games yesterday, uh, ball was flying out. Do you remember back in the day when Dodger Stadium and Petco Park were pitchers' ballparks? I do. I grew up thinking every game at Dodger Stadium ended one to nothing or two to one. Yesterday was unusual. There actually was a game earlier this season at Dodger Stadium where eight home runs were hit. I think that has more to do with the way the balls are being made today, but Day baseball, when it was 91 degrees like yesterday, we thought the ball would be fine. I didn't think we'd see six home runs. I didn't think the home run would determine the winner of that game. I really did think the bullpens would determine the winner of that game. I didn't see 10 to 5 and 16 hits coming for the Houston Astros yesterday. But, you know, we very well might get more of the same in game two. Well, it's like the game plan for Dusty. You know, today he's going to need some innings out of Valdez because I know he doesn't have the confidence in his bullpen. And I can see why McCullers and Valdez were the guys to go early because you're looking at a situation where the A's struggle against curveballs. Valdez throws more curveballs than anybody. So I can see why Grinky's not going in this game. But how important is it the A's just stay with the game plan and have to believe once you're going to get to that bullpen, then the A's are going to have success? I think that's exactly right. You know, talking with Bob Melvin, today just five minutes ago he he felt that way and you know somebody asked him about how the why are the A's so good in day baseball games yesterday aside and he said look we play a lot of day baseball games and we've got a good team that's the reason it plays out that way you know it comes to Valdez he's a guy who does not give up the home run ball you know he's already made one start against the A's in his career uh he took the loss but he pitched very well seven innings gave up one run uh, he struck out nine guys in that game. So he's going to be very tough. And I think the interesting part of this matchup for me is more on the other side is Sean Manaya. And when he's talking about a retribution game, because, you know, he gave up three home runs last year in the wild card game to Tampa Bay. He was really, uh, you know, really, really disillusioned over his performance. You know, he got on a plane and he went to Asia to try and shake it off back in the day when you could do that and actually jump on a plane and go someplace else. I think in Manaya's case, He's looking at this as a retribution game, and that could be a great motivator for him today. Yeah, I'm assuming you're still in New England for this game, correct? I'm actually in Bristol, yeah. I'm in uh, Bristol, Connecticut, the ESPN studios. We're calling the games off monitors 
uh, the same way I did the Red Sox all season long. Uh, the major difference for me is the pitching is a whole lot better watching these playoff teams than what I had to see all season <laughs> long at, in Boston. But yeah, we're, we're calling the games off monitors. It's a very strange experience. There's no question about it. Well, yeah, they had an article on you, uh, Boston.com, where the title was, the Red Sox won't be busy this fall, but Dave O'Brien will. <laughs> we were, we, yeah, busy and, and actually prepping for football on ESPN this weekend, which will also be done, in my case, out of a studio in Bristol. So it, it's a strange new world, Chris. I mean, the way we're broadcasting sports right now, I don't want to make it a habit. I'm, I love to be at the stadium or at the ballpark. I did not put one foot in a major league ballpark all season long, all 60 games of it, which was just a bizarre experience I don't want to repeat. So I hope we get the vaccine and everyone gets back to a normal life uh, in very quick order. Yeah, as much as I love my wife and my kids uh, doing uh... – all of these games from my home studio. It's just uh, after a while, it gets really old and you really miss it. By the way, which one's tougher to do from a monitor? Is it football or is it baseball? I think football is 100 times more difficult because your partner is in another state. Your spotter is in another state. Your stats guy's somewhere else. Your producer and director may not even be together because there are no trucks going to sites. But I think the game, because you've got a lot more activity on the field, baseball, we're used to, you know, here are your sight lines. The pace of the game is different. I think the pace of football makes it tremendously difficult to do off television. And you really can't see everything. You may want to see a head coach talking to a quarterback on the sideline. You may not get that shot. The camera guys might be looking at something else, as opposed to when you're in a booth, you can look at anything you want. So I would say absolutely football is, is far more difficult. Uh, two teams that you know very well in the New York Yankees and the Rays and what happened down at Petco Park in San Diego where the Yankees just too powerful and in the end uh, they're just separated with, 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 with some late-inning heroics. Uh, what do you think about that series as the Rays kind of dominated that series during the regular season but the Yankees were never fully healthy? How do you see this one? In many ways, it reminds me of the series we're doing between the A's and the Astros. A lot of bad blood. They had the same thing with the Yankees and the Rays. You had one team dominating the season series, which the A's did, and you mentioned the Rays did. And I think this series, and I had the A's winning the series in five, I think this series goes to the, the Yankees. I had them in the first round against Cleveland. They look like a different team to me. It's a different team than the team I saw in the regular season because all those guys were beat up. You know, Judge missing time and Stanton missing time and all the all these key guys. Now they're healthy again. You know, take out Garrett Cole for a second. Just talk about the mashers in that lineup. They are scary right now, and they look like a team on a mission to me. I think this series goes to the Yankees pretty quickly. In fact, even given how good Tampa Bay starting pitching is, they just look like they're playing at a different level right now. Yeah, that's you know, we I was talking about that to start the show today about how you know what. When the bright lights come on, you got to play big. And the way the A's have not hit with runners in scoring position and the way they've, you know, the, the, the demons of the past. I mean, you look at the Yankees beat up, now healthy. The, the way they took down Cleveland, which was the number one pitching staff in the American League, Tampa's number two. I mean, Yankees guys are playing big in the big games, and that's what you got to do to move on in October. Yeah, they are. And, you know, I, I'm pretty close to the manager of the Yankees, which shouldn't be known in Boston, but 
He's a friend <laughs> of mine. He's a guy I broadcast with a lot, Aaron Boone. I think, you know, he, he's very good at reading the pulse of his team. And we, he talks about, you know, we haven't done anything yet. Even beating the Indians meant nothing. Now everybody's back. He's got all of his horses going. As he likes to say, they're savages in the batter's box, very famously. I, I think that's exactly what's going on there right now. They've got a sense of themselves. And in a playoff series, I think you're on to something there. You have to rise to the big moment. The A's have to do that today. Because if they don't do it today, this may be a quick series the other way. And I think they have to come out, get the early lead pitch the way they did uh, getting the early lead yesterday. They just didn't pitch well enough to hold on to it. That script better change today. Uh, Let's end on this. I'm sure you've gotten a chance to talk to Dusty Baker. What's he saying about Zach Greinke right now? You know, they're not really high on Zach Greinke. He's not throwing the ball well. Uh, He's got an ERA around five and a half over the last, you know, three weeks. He didn't pitch well in game one uh, of their series of playoffs. I think that he's a guy they're a little bit concerned about. And, you know, he's a different character. He's a different sort of cat. He's had some issues in the past. I think he's a guy that, you know, in this circumstances can certainly get back to Zach Cranky, throwing a lot of strikes, having a lot of quick innings. But I think what Dusty said the other day, he labors out there. You know, he's throwing a lot of pitches. That's really not his style. So I think, you know, as you haven't even seen him yet, won't see him today, first two games of the series, that's not a good sign for them. But I think they look at their offense right now as as starting to click sort of the way the Yankees are. Not in that same class. I'm not saying they've got guys who had hit, you know, who had the potential to hit 40 or 50 home runs up and down the lineup. The Yankees have several of those guys. But now you've got, you know, Springer's gotten hot. Correa is hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's made some adjustments. I think they look at their offense as the driving force behind that team right now, not so much their rotation. Dave, always a pleasure. We appreciate it. Be safe, and let's talk soon. Look forward to it, Chris. Talk to you soon. Now, Mike Petriello is going to join us, and one of the things that I love about Mike is when they do these analytic broadcasts where they just basically go through the game with all the analytics and explaining explaining everything. They're very popular, and they do a great job with it. Here's Mike. Welcome back to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. We got Mike on the line. Mike, how are you? It's do or die here for the Oakland Athletics here in the American League Division Series. Hey, guys, how you doing? It sure is. And uh, personally, I hope they do it because I don't want to see this series end yet. I don't think anybody wants to see the Astros win this in three. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was supposed to be this unbelievable fight, right? These two teams, the reality is, They don't like each other. And the way we built this up was this isn't a traditional rivalry, right? This isn't Yankees, uh, Red Sox, Cardinals, Cubs, Ohio State, Michigan, where this is long tradition. This is not about the uniforms in the towns. This is about the actual players, the actual A's players and the actual Astros players. They really don't like each other. Obviously, what happened with the scandal and everything and to have it go down to where the A's go out in three, uh, it just wouldn't be good for baseball. Well, I mean, it would be a little bit, I guess, in the sense that you'd have the Astros move on and be everybody's favorite hate watch, you know, so that could be kind of fun. <laughs> but listen, the A's, are, the A's are too good for this. You know, like they've, what, 97 wins each of the last two years, haven't gotten past the wild card round, they're finally here. But I don't think that they deserve to be swept down in three. And I don't think they will be. I don't think they're going to come back from down 2 nothing. But I don't think it's going to end today. You know, there is something about being down 0-2. I mean, and, and, and I, 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 
always think about Kevin Millar and that video about the Red Sox coming back against the Yankees when he was on the field. I think he was talking to Dan Shaughnessy and he was like, hey, listen, we win today and then we got Pedro and then we got Schilling. I mean, that's kind of the mentality that you have to have. I know we have to take it one day at a time, one pitch at a time and all that and all the cliches. But the reality is you have to believe that you can win today, you can win tomorrow, and then everything's even for a game five. Well, I agree with you on that, but don't forget also that Kevin Millar said, if we win today, then we'll have Pedro and Schilling. And as much as I like the arms that the A's have, they do not have Pedro and Schilling lined up next. That's going to make it a little harder. Yeah, can we get uh, Pedro out from TBS and, and, and get him in the green and gold? <laughs> I, I'd take him today. <laughs> yeah, um, I would actually like to watch that very much. Listen, I like the A's arms a lot, and I'm interested to see how Lizardo does today because – we had one of these A's games last week against the White Sox on our, our ESPN Plus show, and Frankie Matas looked unbelievable. You know, and I know Melvin has said he'll get in some time no matter what, um, but I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see because it's kind of funny. You had Bassett and you had Manaya. I like both Lizardo and Montas better than either of the first two starters. So at least in some sense, you could argue you're getting into the stronger part of the rotation here. By the way, I love your StatCast shows. Uh, you know, I mean, for, Thank you. for, for people... You know, it's very I think it's very tough once these games go national for a lot of fans, because baseball is a local sport. Let's be honest. It's a local market sport. And once it goes national, you're bringing in broadcasters that, you know, they don't really know your team, especially guys who are coming out east. And I think like you guys know baseball, you can break baseball down and watching these stat cast shows have been a lot of fun. How much fun are they for you to be able to do these shows? Well, first of all, thank you for watching them and for the kind words. And they are a blast. And I think that's the most important part. More than anything to do with stats, old metrics, new metrics, any of it, is that we have a blast. So before it's been myself, Jason Benetti, and Eduardo Perez. Last week, instead of Eduardo, we had Kyle Peterson. And what I hope people got from it was like, hey, these are three people who really like baseball and most importantly, like talking to each other. Like one day... We had an eight-hour-long sort of red zone whip-around kind of thing, that one day where all the games were happening at the same time. And we did it without ad breaks, like your traditional game. You'll get to go to break when the inning ends. And I got to tell you, if I didn't like those two guys, I don't think I could have talked to them for eight straight hours about baseball without ripping them through the Zoom call. You know, like it's got to be, hey, this is fun. I'm enjoying being here. If you're having fun, the people who are watching will have fun. And then the stats are cool, but they're secondary to me. You know, people just don't want to hear cliches. They don't want to hear complaining about the the shift or begging for bunts or anything like that. They want to know why baseball teams do the things they do, and they want it to be entertaining. It's never going to be a math lesson on these shows, and we have so much fun, and I'm so fortunate to have the chance to do them. Well, trust me, we're promoting you. We had Jason Benetti on before one of your whip arounds, and that's what, uh, after we had him on, and that was what what we ended up watching, and, and I was watching, you know, I had the A's game on, but I was watching you guys on my computer, and it was like, you don't know if baseball could actually do a red zone and how popular that is with the National Football League where more people rather watch the red zone than actually watch a football game that's not their team. The research has shown that. I think what you guys have proven, you could, I mean, it'd be very tough, it'd be a long day, but you guys have proven you could pull off a red zone for Major League Baseball. I hope so. I mean, a lot of that goes to the fact that I think Jason is just the best play-by-play man on earth. You know, he could make 
anything interesting. And he was actually off to do college football like the very next night. So the man is a machine. But I, I do think we have a good grouping there, you know, because I can I obviously can speak from the statistical point of view and I can look up anything very quickly that I don't know. And then whether it's Eduardo or, or Kyle, we have the, the pitchers, the players point of view, which is super important because got to have someone who's actually played the game, you know, and obviously we've got a great production team at ESPN. So every time we do it, people seem to really enjoy it. And I always appreciate that because we put a lot of work into it and we have so much fun doing it. And I think we've done it enough times now uh, that we, we've proven it's a concept that works. It's not just like a fun one-off. So I hope we get a chance to do more in the future. Well, we're promoting you here on Ace Cast Live. It's a great product. Uh, when you look at the Astros, they struggled this year. There's no question. And they struggled offensively. But they do have star power. They have great players. What has changed for the Astros from the regular season to the series against the Twins to where we are now, the A's down 0-2? Interestingly enough to me, I think it's the pitching. You know, if you if you look at the series against the Twins, especially, it's, that's the Bomba squad, right? And they scored, I think, what, one run in each game. And a big part of that goes to the rotation of the uh, of the, the Astros and also to Dusty Baker. I mean, he's got this reputation, reputation as being a dinosaur from a different generation. And your starting pitcher has to go and throw 175 pitches. And he didn't do that. He effectively piggybacked those pitchers in the first round, right? Like he had Granke and Valdez. Uh, and then the next day, I don't even remember who started, but he was followed by Christian Javier. And like, that was really, really effective because this is not the same Astros rotation. Verlander's not around. Cole's not around. Actually, now Granke is dealing with a bit of an arm issue, which is why Urquidy is pitching today. But there's a lot of credit to me that goes to Dusty Baker because they've had like seven or eight rookies in that bullpen all year long. They obviously don't have the big two horses at the top, and he's made it work. You know, that's that's a huge credit to him, I think, uh, sort of adapting to the modern game like that. You know, I think about the percentages. Obviously, they're not in the A's favor being down 0-2. But what is the what has to happen for the A's? to truly make a comeback, get this thing in five, even possibly win it, what has to happen for them? And I think the bats need to wake up a little bit. And that might be a bit of a tough ask because this wasn't actually a great offense this year. They were about league average. And then obviously they lost Chapman, as you know, and, and Simeon didn't have a great year. It's been nice to see Chris Davis, you know, pounding the ball because it's it's been a rough year or two for him. Uh, but Urquidy is, is good, but he's not great. I know he kind of had a, a nice little pop-up in the postseason last year, but he, he got COVID, unfortunately. He missed a lot of this year. He really has not missed a lot of bats, you know? So if you can't go out there and get some offense off of him, then it's hard to look anywhere else. It's hard to look at the Astros, you know? you got to look at your lineup and say, guys, we didn't get the job done. And if they don't, it's going to be the end of the season today. You know, this uh... – ALDS down in San Diego at Petco Park has been very interesting. I thought uh, I, I thought the Rays on that Clint Frazier, it should have been called a ball, would have would have made it bases loaded with nobody out. Uh, that strikeout that uh, Pete Fairbanks got last night, but whatever, it's tied 1-1. This is a fascinating series because these two teams know each other so well. How do you think it plays out? I, you know, I'm really glad you brought up Pete Fairbanks. Because at the same time last night, I had that game on one screen and the Dodger game on another screen. And Pete Fairbanks and Dustin May are simultaneously throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. And you wonder why nobody can hit anybody. <laughs> the the Yankees-Rays series has been fun. I mean, you talk about how much the A's and Astros don't like each other, and that's true. But, man, I think I think Yankees-Rays might be the best uh, rivalry going in baseball right now. And it's partially because they're both very good. They've got a lot of history. 
to be sure, you know, the, the Yankees have a lot to answer for today, I think, just because of how spectacularly the gambit to use Davey Garcia as an opener failed yesterday. And I'm, I'm in favor of the idea. I think an opener is a cool idea. But as far as I'm concerned, you need two things to make it work. First, you need to kind of bring in, if you're going to have a guy throw one inning, you need him to be a short reliever who wasn't going to throw more than one inning anyway. You know, Garcia is young and talented. He could have given you a couple. You didn't have to yank him. The second thing is you need the veteran starter behind him to be all in on the idea. And it's pretty clear Jay Happ was not. You know, I, I think that can give back a lot of the momentum that the strategy gives you if the guy is doing it don't actually want to. I think that's that's tough, and I think that's where maybe they fell short yesterday. You know, I know there's not an analytic for this. I just when when you're going out there like the Padres yesterday and you're throwing out whatever nine pitchers, I just don't think this is good for the position players in your offense. I I, I don't know how to quantify it. I just it, it mucks up the game. It makes the game just slow. Um, Dodgers obviously are so talented, but but what do you make of teams that are just like all hands on deck and we're going to throw a bazillion pitchers at you? Do you like that? And can is there anything any in any analytic you can say? You know what? That really doesn't work. Well, I think it's different for the Padres just because they've had so many pitching injuries. They don't really have much of a choice, especially last night. You know, Clevenger couldn't make it through two innings. I don't think they wanted that to happen. And that's, that's the position they've been put into. And I think they're going to suffer for it over a longer series. I think this is a, it's an important way to think about the difference between what makes for winning baseball and what makes for entertaining baseball. They're not necessarily the same thing, you know, and it's the team's job to win. It's not the team's job to be fun and exciting. Cause I agree with you. Like, you know, we think about classic pitching matchups and in the postseason, what do we think about? We think about like Jack Morris going 10 innings in, in World Series, right? We don't think about nine pitchers coming in and all throwing an inning apiece. And it's it's not as much fun, but there's certainly reason to think that it makes sense. I mean, would you rather be facing a starter 140 pitches deep in the ninth inning for the fourth time? Or would you be rather be facing yet another pitcher who throws 98 with the slider? You know, what the Padres do that's really interesting is that all of their relievers have an incredibly different look. You know, you have like funky lefty sidearmer Tim Hill or Austin Adams who throws only sliders or Pierce Johnson who throws only curveballs and Drew Pomerantz with a really good lefty rising fastball and here comes Trevor Rosenthal who still throws 100 or veteran sinker baller Craig Salmon. I think if you have guys, every time they come up, they have to see something different. That's really hard to time. And I think there's some evidence that does hurt the batters when you have to see it like that. I get that in theory. My problem with that is now you're asking too many guys to be good. And as you saw last night, they had multiple guys that gave up runs. That's where, and, and that's where I didn't like the idea of what the A's did in the wild card game two years ago, where they were going to staff it, because now you're asking too many pitchers to be perfect. Am I really going to have nine guys not give it up? for an entire game. Yes, in theory, you're bringing in a bunch of different guys, a bunch of different arms, a lot of guys thrown at high speed, but is everybody going to have a good night? You're trying to bank on a lot of different guys having a good night, and when you're dealing with human beings, normally that doesn't happen. Super fair. I I would agree with that totally. I would point out, though, that the Padres game last night, two things happened. First of all, the Dodgers have a fantastic offense. There's an argument that there's no good strategy after your pitcher goes out in the first inning that's going to stop them. And the second thing is, they didn't really, the Padres, you know, the guys who didn't have their best games necessarily, not like they got lit up, you know, there, no ball was going out of that park. Some of those were kind of like dinky hits that fell. So 
So while I do agree with you, I think pitchers in this game are so good that more often than not, they're on. And, and again, it's not always a choice. The Padres didn't really want to have to do that. And I think what's important to remember is when you're making that choice, it's not generally, am I doing this or am I starting Garrett Cole? You know, It's like, am I doing this or am I going to let my fifth best starter try to get into the sixth inning? I think that's the decision that's always important to remember. Yeah, the Dodgers, you know, we got to see them at the end of the year. And, you know, I don't know their stats completely, but not only do they have the firepower and watching that game last night, you know, they've got the firepower to hit it out of the ballpark. And then you got Justin Turner getting jammed going to right field and they're all shaking their hands because it's not a barrel. And then you got an infield hit by Bellinger. I, I mean, they're a team that has the ultimate firepower. And you tell me from the stats, they also make contact, which I think is key and which is something that we don't see from the A's. Well, the Dodgers, I think, are pretty clearly the best team in baseball, uh, without question about that. And they did have tied for the second lowest strikeout rate uh, in the game by by an offensive team, which is wonderful. But most importantly, they did that while also having the highest slugging percentage in baseball. You know, that's where it comes down to. If you can make contact and that contact is strong contact, it's wonderful. You have really... You have really nailed the secret sauce, and that's obviously much easier said than done. But I, I just like to point out, contact is not necessarily good contact. You know, like the two of the uh, the three teams with the lowest strikeout rate in baseball were the Nationals and the Diamondbacks. They both had really lousy offenses because they just didn't make good contact. Like, I don't really care about the difference between a strikeout and a weak ground out to second. But so far as the Dodgers go, yeah, if you're making good contact, then great. The more of it, the better for sure. All right, let's end on this. You got to buy stock in a team, right? You got kids going to college. You need some extra cash. You can't pick the Dodgers. Who would you buy stock in? Who's left? Out of the teams that's left. Oh, that's a really interesting question. I guess I'm going to take, I guess I'm going to take the Rays. Um, I really like what the Rays can do, both with that pitching staff. I think not enough people know that Nick Anderson is the best reliever in baseball. No disrespect to Liam Hendricks is obviously also very good, but I'll take Nick Anderson. And they've got, uh, a deeper rotation than I think than the Yankees do for sure. And then that people give them credit for, you know, you've got Glasnow and Snell and Morton. And then in the fourth starter, you can break out, you know, Ryan Yarborough or, or someone who can give you a couple innings and a, a sneaky decent offense. So I think the Rays pretty clearly were the best team in the AL and it wouldn't be surprising at all to see a Dodgers Rays world series. Well, let me tell you something. If any way we can help you make this stat cast broadcast a consistent thing, you know how our audience rolls. I mean, we're the Moneyball audience. We're all about it. So if you can make that happen, we will We will push it to uh, no end. So thank you for coming on. Let's do this again before we uh, end this baseball season. And I love your work, MLB.com. But wh whatever we can do to get this stat cast thing going, uh, it would be incredible to have a show like that, whether it's on, the, you know, on a Saturday or as much as we can do it, we loved it. Thank you for the kind words. And Chris, I can tell you this. The last time I set foot in a major league ballpark was in the Oakland Coliseum last year. I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to do it again, but I'm always going to have fond memories of that. Isn't that sad? I mean, it's like it's like my staff, my guys, I mean, because of Governor Newsom, they did what they wanted low numbers in the Coliseum. So we said, yeah, we can, you know, we all have home studios. I mean, it's unbelievable that we will not go to a baseball game this year. Yeah, me too. I live in New York City. <clears throat> I didn't go to either of the parks, and I just don't know when I will again. Uh, well, keep up the great work. We appreciate it, and let's talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care.
Well, that's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Jeff Blum, Steve Sparks, Dave O'Brien, and Mike Petriello. That's going to do it. Now let's go back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.